You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the Westside Community News. And today, I'm going to kind of wrap up looking back at this past Pacers miserable season. I've done a lot of various evaluations of the team's defense, clutch play, whatever you name it from this past year. Before I really pivot into into off-season stuff, next Monday is the first draft profile coming on the Locked On Pacers podcast. I want to talk about Rick Carlisle, his first season with the team, hired as the head coach. A lot went on in his first year with the franchise, and no one better to do that with than Kevin Bowen from ESPN and the ESPN 1070 The Fan, the morning show covering the Colts over there as well. And Kevin, I learned that I am failing podcasting class because I always ask guests how are you and I'm not supposed to do that so Kevin are you psyched for the NFL draft I'm learning to do sports questions <laughs> I am psyched yes uh, honestly and I, I think you are anti this but you know how the drafts are for a lot of sports fans that's like Christmas so uh, it is Christmas for Colts fans albeit they don't have the ultimate gift being a first round pick certainly the Pacers have the opposite of that and hopefully for their sake the ping pong balls will bounce their way but yes I am intrigued because you know, my lifetime, it's the first time ever. Colts and Pacers missed the playoffs in the same year. So uh, to start a rebuild, reload, whatever you want to call it, I am excited. Wow, I did not know that about the Pacers and Colts. This is an interesting time for the CDB. Yeah. I guess with Peyton being so good for so long and Reggie right before that, I never really considered that. That's interesting. Uh, I know, it's kind of wild. So looking back, speaking of Reggie, Rick Carlisle was the coach of those teams for a while. Rick Carlisle returns to the Pacers this year. It was his first year coaching the team. And I have some references I want to bring up later in the show because I actually watched a Chad Buchanan interview from Summer League in prep for this pod. That's how much I wanted to get into the weeds on the Carlisle hire. But before I talk about what Chad Buchanan said about the hire, in that, Kevin, just high-level overview stuff. What did you think of Rick Carlisle's first season coaching the Pacers? Well, certainly disappointing. Um, I think you got to start there. And, you know, yes, you know, the, the, the cards he was dealt were not in the hand that I think he thought, uh, mostly injury-related. I think you could probably echo something similar for Nate Bjorker in the year before. Uh, probably a little bit more COVID impact. Granted, COVID did impact parts of this season as well. Um, but I, I, I guess I was disappointed in just the fact that the record speaks for itself. And I get it. A lot of end-of-game situation is, do you have the horses or do you not in those end-of-game moments? But at the same time, I think with how timeout structure works and the NBA and the ability to draw up a lot of sets and and really come from that point of view, not as kind of free-flowing in the final minute of a game, I do think, you know, if you have a great tactician, a great X and O guy, a great, you know, out-of-timeout guy, uh, on both ends of the floor, that can really help you in those areas. And I felt like, just given the Pacers' record in those games – four points or less, it, it, it's hard to say that they had an advantage there. Uh, again, I fully acknowledge that the guys who are getting the ball late in games at times, you're kind of like, wait, what? Or who? Uh, would probably be the better thing to say. So um, all in all, you know, I, I feel like he commanded some respect in the locker room. That clearly wasn't there last year. So that was a step in the right direction. But I think when you evaluate Rick Carlisle in the last five to seven, five to eight years, um, you you got to admit that the team's success, mostly getting in, getting deep into the playoffs, hasn't been there. Um, again, personnel, you know, you, we, we can argue how built those Mavs teams were for that. But 
I think that remains the question here in Indiana. It's obviously getting a team that can be built to make the postseason and then eventually winning some games and winning some uh, playoff series, which not something this franchise has done in quite a while. The late game stuff is really interesting because a lot of the pegs for Carlisle's like great coaching resume, and Chad Buchanan brought this up in this interview that I have now referenced twice, is that you know something Carlisle is good at is he will maximize the talent he has on the team. Right, he will put them all in the right situations to be great players. He will adapt the roster and maximize it. Right, and a lot of times that did happen, I think. But in the end of games, the opposite of that happens where. They, they fall apart on defense. They were horrible on defense at the end of games. And their offense, they didn't have a guy. You mentioned that. The, the who was was troubling, and that, that's not on his, his fault. But they still did not, you know, very rarely did they get buckets down the stretch. And three of their four wins in those games, one by four or less, were against lottery teams, right? So they when when they needed to step up, that's when he wasn't as good at the thing that he is, he is clearly good at for most of the game. Like, they got into the clutch situation. They just couldn't finish it. So that is a big factor, and I think that's fascinating, especially when that's billed as something he's good at. And in the past, the Mavs haven't been necessarily great in the clutch either, even with Luka. You know, they were better than the Pacers were this past season, but not, like, amazing or world beaters or anything. So that's a fascinating, like, headliner for his his season is, like, yeah, he did pretty like pretty well, I think, at the thing he's built to be really good at, except for at the very, very end of games. And I'm curious why that that difference is so stark. Yeah, and again, I probably – it is players, not plays. You know, I, I get that. You hear that phrase a lot. But I still think, you know, with how the NBA works and, you know, your ability to, again, set up stuff and advance the ball and all of that, um, I do think that's an element that um, – kudos to the Pacers for getting in a lot of those opportunities. But – and you, you lamented this a whole lot throughout the year, just finishing those chances, you know, could be a huge stark difference in how their record is and whatnot. Um and then on the defensive end, I, you know, I just – yes, Turner missed more time this year, but – and you would know better than I, but, man, it just seems like the defense was just much, much worse than it was last year. Oh. Um, and so I, I, I think that is something that um, that you have to acknowledge as well. So, uh, you know, when you look at this pie, uh, you know, I said this before, I didn't feel like it was just a this is a personnel problem, this is a coaching problem. Like, you know, I, I, I didn't think all of a sudden, like, oh, Carlisle's going to be hired and you're going to be golden. You know, you got to make personnel tweaks as well. Um, and, and I think, you know, Carlisle has got to prove himself um, in facing something I don't think he quite realized would be this challenging when he when he took the gig. Yeah, the defense, I, I, I'm kind of lost because, you know, I like I can see they change stuff up every so often. But, like, the personnel they had when they were healthy – was still the team Nate Bjorkren had and a lot of the team that Nate McMillan had that was much better on defense, right? So, like, some of the guys just were worse, which was strange, but that you can't just go, oh, worse defenders now, you know, whatever. Uh, something was was off on the end of the floor. Miles Turner talked about that at the end of the season. And, it was, you know, with de- evaluating defense from a coaching perspective, I really struggle with because, you know, I don't know what, what every single day guys are being told to do or not do. I don't know what Lloyd Pierce or Rick Carlisle or whoever the individual skills coaches for each guy is saying, you know, hey, work on turning your hips this way to guard this kind of action, or hey, you practice being one step higher on drop coverage if you're a big, or, you know, we got to get in the gaps a little more, like have your arms. Like, I don't know what they're saying. So I can see what they're doing wrong, but I don't know if if they don't know how to do it, and either then they need to be coached to do it, or if they're not being told to do it, or, you know, how to to marry up those gaps in my knowledge. So 
sometimes on both ends, it's kind of hard to say, oh, this is obviously a coaching problem versus a personnel problem. But there was an aspect to me of like, okay, they were much better with similar players, even last season on defense. And this year to see that completely change and fall apart, went against the entire Pacer, Pacer ethos. And like Nate Bjorkren was killed for some of the stuff he chose to do on defense. And they were way better on defense, uh, according to the stats last year, right? So I have a lot of trouble evaluating that end of the floor and how the staff did because, I don't, again, I don't know what they were saying to players, but that end of the floor was where I had the most level of concern with how things went in terms of a new staff applying stuff to new players. Yeah, and again, you know, Carlisle, it, by all accounts, did not have anywhere near the locker room dysfunction, for lack of a better term, than Bjorkren did. But if Bjorkren would have been the coach of this year's team and that record would have been produced and those defensive numbers would have been produced, you know, you would have had 10,000 people getting ready to show up at his house to pack his bags right away. So I, I just think there is a level of, yes, I watch these teams in the playoffs and I see some long, interchangeable wings and length that the Pacers, frankly, just don't have. Uh, but I want to make sure that we hold this coaching staff accountable. Um, this is kind of a historic season. And, and, yeah, the net ratings and stuff like that, maybe it wasn't, you know, fifth worst team in the – NBA, and I'm usually, you know, I, I try to factor in context when looking at just kind of black and white sort of results. I think that's very important, and you do a tremendous job with that. Uh, but at the same time, whether the staff stays intact, which so far it looks like it will, uh, not a lot of coaching turnover in the NBA, I feel like it is very important for that staff to uh, make strides, have an impact, you know, whatever, stick to core philosophies, employ that at a higher rate. You know, have change-ups a little bit more, but clearly, in the game situations, the defensive end of the floor, uh, probably the two biggest areas to react to next year. Hey guys, one short little break here. Talk about two awesome groups of people. First up, the good folks over at TrueBuild. You know why free trials renew without your consent? It's a business scam out to get you. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download TrueBuild to take control of your subscriptions. TrueBuild is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 per year with Truebill because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel. Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Link your accounts, and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap, and your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. They have over 2 million users and have helped them save over $100 million. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com. Slash locked on NBA go right now. Truebill.com slash locked on NBA. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash locked on NBA. Let's also talk about Bill Bar, the best tasting protein bars out there. Look, if you're like me, you've tried protein bars in the store before and they aren't very good. They're rubbery, chalky, plasticky. They, they, don't, they don't taste like food. They're like, they don't, they don't, they just don't chew right. The texture doesn't make any sense. The flavor's not as good as it's advertised to be. Bill Bar. I solved that problem. 100% covered in chocolate protein bars that all come in so many good flavors. So many of them taste like a candy bar. The sweet ones all do. They also have some fruit ones that are a little bit healthier and taste exactly like the flavor says. And their texture sort of matches the flavor they have. So they're really delicious. They're exactly what you're looking for. And so many Lockdown listeners have tried them and told me that they love them. And they have a pub variety that have marshmallows in them. There's just a million reasons to try them. And you should be next. Low-calorie, high-protein. Replace your candy bars with them. They are better and their macros are great. 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, 17 grams of protein in most of them. They'll be blown away. you got to try them. I love the peanut butter brownie, and I think you will too. Go to Built.com. Use the promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your order. That promo code, again, is LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. I have this on the, the discussion topic itinerary, and you just brought it up, so I'll, we'll just do it now. But 
you know, in general, the staff going into next season. Like, I don't think anyone should lose their job for this year. Like, it was a bananas year for the Pacers. Like, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. Yeah, they were horrible. And, like, in, in that, guys, you would like to make changes. They just won 25 games, and they're not a franchise who likes to be bad. But uh, they haven't had the same coaching staff for two straight seasons since 2019. Like, that is a pretty long time for something like that to happen. And so I think there is a lot of value in that, even if a lot of stuff didn't work this year. And I'm curious if that is, like, a too rosy way to you of looking at it or if you feel like that makes sense. No, I, I think that's totally fair. Um, and, you know, it is difficult in – you know, the NFL versus the NBA, the NFL, like they're the designed coordinators that are very public. You know, they, they right. meet the media once a week, like from a Colts standpoint, Frank Reich has called the plays and now it'll be Gus Bradley. And before that it was Matt Eberflus. He, they both call the defensive plays. So it's like very obvious. Whereas the NBA, you don't have just that clarity in a public setting as much, nor do you hear from them as much as you do in the NFL. So uh, I'm not saying that. And I assume, you know, we're going to have a, decent amount we'll see how much but we're gonna have some roster turnover here to factor in as well right um and again covid you know hopefully we'll take another step forward and you know any limitations you had during training camp last year should hopefully be done with so all of those things i think you have to factor in so the lloyd pierce resume the ronald norred resume um what's what's the other guy's name Mike uh, Jenny, Jenny yeah yeah yeah, yeah, J- yeah. You know, the, 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 all the resumes are fine. And, you know, it, it, when they compiled that, that that staff, I was pretty impressed by it. Uh, but I did feel like when Carlisle was hired and, you know, I didn't really realize it at the time, but it's like, all right, the playoff wins were not there in Dallas from a serious standpoint. And I want to say from a regular season standpoint, I, I might be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure this past year for Dallas was their best year yet. Uh, from a from a win standpoint, since since the title year, um, so I Carlisle, but again, unbelievable resume, the Hall of Fame caliber coach, all of that. But I do think there is a level of this staff has got to prove himself a little bit more than I thought. Carlisle got a pass at times this season, and his staff in general, based on name recognition. Yeah, this was the Mavs' best season uh, since the, the finals year, their second time winning more than 50 games in a season. He had like the, you know, the West was crazy, like for a stretch in the, early, in the early 2010s. And I only say it's like, I, I brought this up with Nate McMillan a lot. Like everybody killed Nate McMillan for his postseason record and with the Pacers, that was a big part of the reason he got fired. But like in Portland, a lot of Nate McMillan's postseason losses were like they were a seven seed playing a two seed or like they were a six seed playing a three seed. I think he only had one loss as the higher seed. And now with the Pacers, he had one, too, and they got swept. And that was the last straw before he got fired. You know, with Rick, there was, I think, two series with Dallas where he was the higher seed and lost. But most of those, for the last part of the decade, they were the, the worst team, like, on paper. And so I always have trouble in my head of, like, okay, they lost, but, like, am I really going to kill him for losing that? Like, maybe they should have won one of the Clippers series the last two seasons he was there. I don't know. But they weren't, like, that awesome of a team either of those years. So that is a little... That, that evaluation is always tough for me, but you're right that he has not won a series since that, that finals year, which is crazy to think about. And yet he's still thought of very highly in coaching circles, uh, and his staff is really good. So I would be curious how they would look in a postseason setting, especially as this roster kind of transforms. And another factor for him I want to bring up, I've used this this phrase on this podcast before, but it's like a college coach colloquialism usually. But, you know, they always say, like, oh, when he gets his recruits, when he gets his guys, you know, they'll be a better team that fit his system a little better. Like he's not inheriting them from – the old coaching regime, right? With Carlisle, who's a little more involved in front office stuff than all the coaches, not, not 
like a lot or anything, but he's definitely more involved than old coaches, and who plays more of a an offensive pace or an offensive style than old coaches who were built more for defense, like Vogel and McMillan. I do wonder if there is an aspect of, especially now that he will be here for the full off season, uh, you know, if he is here for the full off season. I guess I don't know anything there, but um, assuming he's here for the full off season, if there is an element of okay, if he if he is able to say, hey, I like these guys, and the Pacers get them, you know, how much him having a team that makes sense in his image will make him look like a much better coach next year. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point that you bring up. I guess I go back to the Isaiah Jackson draft pick. I mean, you know, I remember listening to Rick that, that night. I'm sure you, you do as well, Tony. Like, oh, my gosh. It sounded like he was talking about one of his sons just with how, <laughs> right. I mean, obsessed and, and intrigued. And, I mean, he wanted to get on the floor with them that night. And it was like there's so much clay to mold here. And, you know, without knowing certainly the whispers or what was happening in that draft room, it almost seems like they traded up purely to appease Carlisle. And, I mean, who knows? You know, Kevin Pritchard easily could have loved, you know, Isaiah Jackson for similar reasons that 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 Rick clearly does. But um, I, I, I do feel like there's a good bit of truth to what you say. And I think that's that's important. And, and it's important that Rick Carlisle, I think, has say. I think, you know, so so many times during drafts, Tony, regardless of sport, you see a player drafted and they turn into good or bad that pick and we blame or praise the the general manager or the team president for that and how many times do we forget that like putting them in the right environment and coaching is a massive part of it you know player development is so important and the right atmosphere is so important like to me Jalen Smith is a perfect example of that when Jalen Smith was drafted to Phoenix, they were in the midst of a serious rebuild and like full on with that. And then boom, that rookie season of his, everything starts to turn for him. And all of a sudden, wow, boy, Jalen Smith getting all those minutes. Like Jalen Smith played at a really high level in the Big Ten. It's not like he was a mate, he wasn't Isaiah Jackson project like coming out. Um, so all of a sudden, Jalen Smith you know, changes scenery and the opportunities there. And without even knowing his system and getting traded midseason, look at the numbers that he, that he put up. So I do think there is a lot of just starting to put more of the pieces together that you want, that you desire, that you've handpicked to a lesser degree. Um, all of those things are really important. And I do think you need to have a level of patience uh, with that as well. I know it's easy for me to say, and I get how fandom works. You can be really disappointed in the season. But at the same time, I look at this and think to myself, all right, with the right tweaks, you can be a playoff team next year. And then I think after that, you know, you're hopefully uh, somewhat of a contender in the East. You know, maybe not at the top tier, but you are getting to the point where you take steps as a franchise, which I think is really important. You know, Memphis right now, it's not like they just became that number two seed. Like, there were steps in their process. And I think the Pacers start need to – you know, now of this kind of being the rock bottom of the rebuild next year, build a little bit more onto that and start feeling what, you know, winning ways are all about because, you know, and I know I'm running a little bit long on, on this answer, but it just kind of popped in my head. Like Tyrese Halliburton, you know, didn't really win at Iowa state, at least to the level that, you know, maybe some you know college basketball players win at. And in Sacramento, he certainly didn't win. I am not blaming him for one bit for that. But what I'm saying is, you know, there is an element of like learning how to win. There is an element of having the ball late in games, feeling that, wanting it, and succeeding in those environments 
this Pacers team and their personnel need to feel that um, in, in more ways next year because I don't think it's just, boom, you go from zero to 180. I think there is, or I guess zero to 90, I should say. There is a little bit more of a you know stepping stone process. One more break here, guys, so I can talk about the good folks over at betonline.net, your number one source for all of your betting stats and sports info. You can find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of the Major League Baseball season over at betonline.net. They got the Friday lines up for the NBA playoffs. Bucks, after a loss, favored by two and a half in Chicago. No Chris Middleton. I don't know who's going to win that game, but that's going to be a fascinating game for the future of that series and for really both of those teams. I'm really looking forward to that game. And BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. They've got it all. Head over to the website today, betonline.net, or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. BetOnline where the game starts. Yeah, to your point about development and being in the right situation, like I I know, like Tyreek Evans, a former Pacer, like Paul Westfall was like his favorite coach, like with the Kings. And he said like, oh, no, he thought that was, that was the coach that used him the best, right? And like for a lot of young players, that can be really important is that you have the right coach to, to set you up for situations like that and to apply it to Carlisle and the Pacers directly. I would say, you know, feel free to push back on this or anyone listening, feel free to disagree, but obviously Jalen Smith, Played the best basketball of his career after being traded to the Pacers in a better situation. Buddy Heald played the best basketball of his career after being traded to the Pacers this season and being put in a better situation. And Tyrese Halliburton, again, very short career for him and Jalen Smith, but played the best basketball of his career after being traded to the Pacers in a better situation. So while the pieces around those guys, not great. The win-loss with those guys here, 6-22, and 22, again, not very good. Like, it's not, it's not rocket science. Like, they were a young team. They were not good. But those guys all played better. And so that kind of, to me, as, as Rick Carlisle is alluding to around the trade deadline, we wanted more shooting. We wanted to be a little faster. You know, all those things. They get those guys that he likes, and boom, he puts them in the spots to succeed and develop, and the team looks like they have better players. With more time to do that, I think that would be good for him and the Pacers. And that's why I think this offseason of him getting his own guys, I don't want to use that phrase too much, but uh, that idea and him being you know with the team the whole offseason instead of part of it, because they fired Bjorken after like, Three weeks. Remember, it was a long time last year. You know that I right. think that's going to be really valuable. The last thing I want to bring up here, uh, I, I was watching this again. Ed Buchanan interview, two and a half minutes long, and I'm, I'm seeping this for all the quotes. Rick Chad Buchanan says we didn't bring in Rick Carlisle to try to build for the future, and said that winning now is a priority, which is hilarious to look back on after they win 25 games. But do you feel like <laughs> Rick can take this team from this sunken season? Back to success because with the Mavs, it took them two years to do it. They went 24 wins, 33 wins, 49, right? Can Rick do that with the Pacers any faster and in any sort of different way than what has been seen before, both for him in history and in all of NBA history, really? Man, that's such a great question. Um, you know, I'd love to walk out on a ledge and give you a real answer, but <laughs> I just, it, it's, you got to have, you got to match personnel. You know, this is such a multi-layered thing. And that's why when, you know, I felt like the firing of Bjorkren or the firing of McMillan, I should say, to Bjorkren was more of a, again, I believe in the personnel, the coach just has to change. Well, then they tried that again. I believe in the personnel, the coach just has to change. And then finally, it was admitted that, all right, um, what I put in the cupboard is not exactly what you need from an ingredient standpoint to build what you want to. So, um, yeah, I, I – I think so. Um, there are some pieces that I really, really like that if we would have had this conversation, Tony, even back like January 1, I, I don't know if I would have said that. So I, I think you've taken important steps 
in the right direction with a few of those pieces already. Um, and I know you and I, you know, had a little back and forth a couple nights ago, just how important this, that this off season is like, I, I can't stress enough how important that single digit pick is. And then obviously whatever you end up doing uh, with a Brogdon, with a Turner, with a healed, um, you know, certainly if somehow 31 overall can turn into, you know, one of these second round picks that you hear about, I'm not saying it's gotta be Fred Van Vliet or, you know, whatever, but if you can get something out of that, I think that is so massive for you as well. Um, then I think you have the ability to really challenge, but you know, ha- having said that, I mean, this is not my older brother's Eastern conference. This is, this is a pretty good East. And I think there are some really good teams there. And I mentioned it on our morning show, I guess it was today. And we're recording this on Thursday of now with the bulls winning, um, and, and evening up that series. If you look at the NBA as a whole, 26 of the 30 teams have won a playoff game since the Pacers last did. Wow. Um, It's kind of jarring, you know, that you're in a group with Sacramento and Detroit, and I think it's Orlando, maybe? And Charlotte. Well, Indiana's one of them. Charlotte, Detroit, Sacramento. Those are the four. Um, Orlando has won a playoff game. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And I didn't know that. I don't think it's – to that extent, to go back to the playoff series, but it, it is a big number if you went back playoff series, which you obviously would go back a few more years. But again, what I'm getting at is this franchise is in a very foreign place as a fan base or as people that cover it, it's a very foreign place. So you've got to get back to establishing a culture of winning because frankly, that's lost. And your longest tenure player is, you know, who Goga? Like, you know, it, it just. It's it's kind of a weird Brogdon, you know. It's it's kind of a Miles weird Turner's position. being erased from your brain. Turner, God, jeez, <laughs> major apologies on that. Super brain fade there, because uh, I actually think they should. Goga is second though. Bring back Turner. Um, so what I'm getting at again is just this is a foundation that you really are starting f- from the bottom. Um, Carlisle's track record. There's things you can point to that you really really like, but. A resume of 2010 and prior, I just don't know if it's apples to apples to exactly what he's dealing with here in 2022. Um, and he had Luca. Granted, you know Luca, you know had it was not like he was immediate, immediate MVP level. I mean, he got there pretty darn quick. But finding that sort of talent remains, you know, a question that 25 franchises would love to find the answer to as well. So, I wish I had more conviction one way or the other. Um, I like the staff. On paper, it seems like a good staff, but at the same time, I don't think the name recognition of Rick Carlisle all of a sudden means that I can sit here and be like, oh, yeah, as long as you find the pieces, you are totally good. Um, I There's part of this that it's on them to prove themselves as well. Yeah, I think they can get to be as good as the Hornets, uh, who were the 10 seed this year because the East is actually crazy good now, right? So, yeah. no, I don't, I don't know that they can jump all the way to playoff level like where the Bulls are right now, who, again, just won a game. So it's tough. They've got a long... A long road ahead from where they are, and I, I still think their staff is the right staff. Though I think they, they, they had I your word at the beginning disappointing was perfect, like way lower than expectations for the staff they brought in, and not the season that the Pacers or Herb Simon or Kevin Pritchard or Chad Buchanan or Rick Carlisle wanted to have. Uh, they thought that they could meld it with the roster they had, but that that group was not a good fit and did not cut it. So I think it makes all the sense in the world to try it again with this staff, but a different team. 
see what those changes are this summer and try to figure it out. I did not that that stat about the wins in the playoffs is like blowing my mind. I'm still thinking about it while I'm actively talking. Yeah. That is so something. nine straight losses because what swept by Boston and, and Miami. Cleveland? Yeah. Boston, Miami, Miami, Miami being yeah. the bubble, and then you know, lost the seventh game of that Cleveland series. Um, wow. so that would be the nine straight. And yeah, it, it's just wild. And I know you and I have had various conversations, Tony, over the months uh, this year. And uh, I think in the preseason, we did one of these, and I said to you, outside of wins and losses, the most important answer on this season is to me. The Sabonis Turner debate, and just in general, the ripple effect of that, which is, do you have the right roster construction? And the fact that you got an answer to that, you started on the new answer to that, to me, is vitally important. And things are headed in the right direction. Do they stay in the right direction? A lot of stuff remains to be seen. But I do think getting an answer, starting the new answer, i.e., Halliburton, vital vital for the franchise and the single digit pick certainly helps vital off season as kevin bowen said on twitter in his life in your opinion the most important off season <laughs> for the pacers and that you know for a lot of people that is a common sentiment despite my disagreement i i do not belittle anyone for thinking that is the first time with a top 10 pick in forever and a chance for a car sounds like a Go ahead. I, I, I was gonna say tony it sounds like a kevin harlan call in in my life yeah 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 there's a horrible <laughs> Kevin Harlan impression there, but um, yeah, it, it sounds dramatic, but I'm I'm gonna stand by it. Um, you did make some good points. You did challenge my 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 thinking, which I greatly appreciated. But um, I do think we are there, and no matter what, I just think it's like it's an exciting time to be a fan, and that's not something I would have said um, really prior to I don't know 2017 18 off season. I might have overrated Vic a little, but I thought that. That's 2018 offseason was enormous for the Pacers. And I liked yeah. what they did at the time. And in retrospect, yeah, did, you know what? Uh, that, that did not work out very well. Kevin, thank you very much for the time. I am three minutes over uh, the, the time I have allotted for you. So I apologize for that. Uh, what do you got coming from the Colts and Pacers and, and Morning Show Pipeline for everybody to know about? Well, yes, uh, we have the NFL draft next week. So kind of all eyes on that. And then, you know, start to look towards Colts offseason program. NFL schedule be released in early May and then the lottery balls and start looking at Pacers draft. Um, and really looking forward to that because, you know, where they are slotted and how you handle those things will be widely debated. So um, I can't wait. Again, exciting, exciting is how I look at it. So it should be fun times, which you don't usually say or don't may often say about the offseason. But I'm looking forward to it. And as always, man, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you very much for the time. Kevin is tweeting a lot about the Boston Celtics these days because they have a forward named Matt Ryan. And I'm assuming that's who you're talking about all the time uh, when you say that. Wait, Twitter is that day. the Notre Dame guy? It is the Notre Dame guy. He's on the Celtics. Yeah. Gosh, so, yeah, he transferred to Vanderbilt. Man, he, yeah, sharpshooter. Yeah. He, he actually got, transferred from Vandy to Chattanooga, too, and then made it to the NBA. Did he really? Yes, he's been Gosh. all over. That's a great uh, yes, story, yeah. Not, not actually, if you want more Colts coverage, radio coverage, Pacers coverage, whatever, Kevin's got it for you at KBowen1070 on Twitter. This show is at Locked On Pacers and me at T East NBA. We'll be back next week with our first prospect breakdown. If you made it this far, you get to know it's going to be Jabari Smith. You're going to want to listen to it. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will see you on Monday.